0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is also brought to you by Blonde Grass Camouflage Systems. Welcome to the most realistic, durable, and versatile camouflage system available. Tired of constantly having to rebrush your blinds? The smell of rotting grass in your blind? Or grass that pokes and cuts? Or grass mats that have no depth in color and don't last throughout a season? No more cutting brush. Our patent pending blind grass will not rot or mildew and is 100% waterproof. It's available in mats or bundles for any application, whether you have a permanent blind, a boat blind, or a small layout blind. And it comes in natural dead grass colors, and it's paintable to match your unique surroundings. You can visit us on the web at www.blindgrass.com to place your order today. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP. For 20% off all SRD20 products today. Hey everybody, good afternoon and welcome back to an all new episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. Guys, glad to have you in. If you've chosen to join us today, thank you so much. Um, We have a lot to talk about in this new episode, so we are doing this live Right here on IG Live, Instagram Live, and many of you are probably going to stream the audio version um, wherever you get your favorite podcast from. So we appreciate you guys tuning in to a new episode, and like I mentioned, we have a lot to talk about. Today is Monday. We are now sitting at Monday, December 5th. And what that means, uh, for those of you who are well aware, like I am, is that Today is the first day of duck season being closed here in the 2022-2023 season because the first split has now come to an end here in Louisiana, guys. Um, it's hard to believe, it is hard to believe that we are already wrapped up with the first split. You know, it seems like just, just yesterday, just a couple of days ago, it seems like we were, we were already, you know, so excited to get things kicked off. And then now, two weeks later, you know, two and a half weeks later, here we are. We're already done with the first split of duck season. So, you know, whenever my wife always says, man, you know, y'all go hard at it during hunting season, she now she understands. Nowadays, she said, you know, I used to always tell her, I said, it doesn't last very long. You get 60 days to do what you got to do and enjoy, you know, this great sport that we love so much and uh and now i think she all these years that we've been married she really gets it now so it's pretty it goes by quick you guys know it goes by quick um but you know a lot of people who aren't around hunting and and, or you know marry or date somebody who's into hunting they really think it lasts a long time but it, it really doesn't in the grand scheme of things so um you know we're already wrapping up like i said first split and now I can tell you that one day removed from the first half of the season, I'm ready to get going again. I'm, I'm sure you guys are too. If you're in a split right now, wherever you may be, or if you're here in Louisiana like I am, you guys are probably ready to get going again. So we're going to kind of recap on this episode like we do annually. Every year, if you follow the podcast, we do a first, you know, first split wrap up. We do a second or end of season wrap up. And just kind of talk talk about how it's been so far, talk about what we saw out in the field throughout the first split of the season, kind of get some of you guys' uh, feedback on what you guys saw. And, you know, there's a lot of varying opinions, there always is, um, on how the season is going thus far. Some of you probably look back at the first split and you say, wow, this may have been one of the best first splits that we've had in quite some time here in Louisiana. Um, and then some people that I've talked to, they look at it and they say, man, things are con- kind of continuing on that downtrend. Things really suck. Duck season sucks so far for me. It's been tough. We haven't had the birds that we were hoping to get. Um, and a lot of factors play into both, both scenarios, guys. So we're going to kind of talk about that. I'm going to give you my take on a lot of it, kind of, kind of give you a rundown. You know, for those of you who have been listening to the episodes that we've been putting out, During this season, you kind of know where we've been, uh, what we've done so far, me and Jackson, and today I don't have Jackson joining me because he's in school, Um, so I know he'd want to give his insight on it, and I'm sure you guys are going to get that in a following episode that we do probably coming up, but overall, for us, it's been really a solid start. It's been another good solid start. Last year, we had a really solid start to the season. Maybe not quite as good as this season, because when I look at the numbers of where we are as compared to last year, this season for us, for him and I, has been a little bit better than what it was last year. We're a little bit ahead of schedule on the amount of birds that we killed during the first split. I will tell you, I, I'm tired to, you know, today, I, this is the day after we wrapped things up. We hunted yesterday. Uh, I'm feeling it. We had a tough hunt yesterday out down in the saltwater marshes of Louisiana. Uh Tell, I'll tell you guys a little story. We almost got the boat stuck yesterday again. We had the tide fall out on us pretty hard yesterday and Jackson had tugged the, uh, tugged the boat back in the marsh and then we paddled into the blind where we were hunting. And what he did is we take one, we took one kayak with us on yesterday's trip just to kind of give you guys a story on what happened yesterday. So we, we basically, I, it's me and him that hunted. We went down to uh, the saltwater marsh and the area that we hunted was a a spot that we hunted a couple of weeks back. We've had some success in that that area this year in the first split. Uh, And the way we do it is him and I go into this hole in the marsh uh, and then he drops me off at the blind. We have a cane blind that we made just kind of sticking cane down in the ground, uh, you know, and made a blind that butts up to a big, big patch of rozo cane that we have as a backdrop. And once he drops me off, we unload everything out of the boat and then he takes the boat, goes hide it basically in the marsh uh, a little ways off and then he paddles back in with a, uh, with a kayak. So he's done that on several occasions. He's at that age now where I'm able to let him drive the boat kind of been teaching him how to operate, especially with the new surface drive that we had uh, that we went to this year. That's been a big a big help for me. Going to the surface drive, less less wear and tear on my body, coming from that 35 long tail that we had, to a surface drive. But it's also allowed me to kind of work with Jackson, teach him how to operate it, teach him how to kind of idle around, um, go stash the boat, stuff like that, that we need to do, and it helps me out. I don't have to do everything. Um, And he enjoys it, he's learning. you know, So he really likes that, he gets to partake in a lot of the activities he never got to do when he was a little bit younger, and he's becoming a man now. So it's really nice for him to be able to help out. And then it also teaches him some lessons, teaches him, uh, what it takes to get to, to hunt public land, uh, nowadays, you know, and, and, and the way we want to hunt public land nowadays approach it. So he went yesterday. He stashed the boat back in the marsh, couple of hundred yards from where we were hunting at. And he came back, met me and we made a hunt. Now, the thing with yesterday's hunt was it was, uh, it was extremely foggy because we experienced a little, a little warm trend that occurred here in Louisiana this week, especially South Louisiana, I'll say that. There was a warming trend that occurred for the close of the split this weekend for our last couple of hunts. Um, and the last couple of days has been real foggy. A lot, a lot of fog, uh, not a lot of wind. The wind finally died down, which we we have been very lucky during the first split to have the winds that we have had for duck season. I love wind. I've talked about that before. I think wind for any duck hunter is a plus. Um, I do not like fog. I don't like hunting in fog. Um, And several of you probably do. I've heard guys say, I love hunting in fog because it keeps the ceiling lower. It keeps the birds down. And yes, that may be the case. uh, But I personally have always hated hunting in fog. I've never done real well in the fog. I can't recall one hunt that I've hunted throughout many, many years of waterfowling that I've had a really great hunt in fog. You know, it's I I may have had a good hunt, once the fog lifted, uh, but I've never had a great hunt while the fog's just hanging around and you don't get much wind. So that's just my opinion on it. So yesterday was kind of like that, that's what it was. We had a low ceiling, not a lot of birds flying for us yesterday, but the point of the story I was telling y'all about the boat is that fast forward to the end of the hunt, we noticed that the tide's starting to drop. I had looked at the tide charts and showed that there was gonna be a fall yesterday and when you hunt coastal areas those of you who hunt coastal areas you know you have to keep an eye on that well where I thought Jackson had actually stashed the boat wasn't exactly where he stashed the boat at he went a little bit further in because he's thinking hey the further I could get the boat away from where we're hunting at is gonna help us probably you know and I understand that it's exactly what I would do well he put it in there too good almost yesterday and what we found was that whenever he went to check on the boat, he actually went to retrieve a bird yesterday that had fell toward, um, you know, where the boat was parked at. He went out there and he decided that he was going to go into the little area where he had parked the boat just to check because the tide was falling and he could see it uh, on the rose, he could see it on the on the marsh grass and the rose cane that it was dropping. And when he went, he had parked the boat a little bit too well yesterday and almost half of the front end of the boat was On land because it had dropped out the water so quickly and uh he tried to push it off by himself because he's in a he's in a kayak paddled over to it tries to push it off and guys if you've ever hunted Louisiana marsh which most of you listening to this episode uh, do hunt the marshes down in Louisiana you know that when that tide falls how nasty and sticky and mushy that mud can be in the marshes of Louisiana so or marshes across the United States for that matter you know so it's a it's a it's a nasty it's a thick ass nasty mud is what it is um, and he tried to it was taking him a while I knew something wasn't quite right so I called him on the cell phone and uh and he said dad he said the boat's stuck on land he said I can't get it off and uh needless to say I was like well how the hell am I gonna get to him because we only had one kayak you can't walk across this area that we had because it's too soft the to bottom to really have a person walk across to that, you know, a couple of hundred yards, especially. And, uh, I told him, I said, you're going to have to come back and get me in the kayak, which we're in a 10 foot kayak. Funny as shit. You guys, I wish we could have filmed this for y'all. Uh, or somebody could have filmed our two asses basically trying to, uh, look like you ever seen, you ever seen when you were kids, you know, uh, you ride your bicycle and you pick up one of your buddies that didn't have a bike. And we used to call that pumping them on the handlebars. We'd put them on the handlebars of the bike and we'd we'd take them with us just to get them down the road where we had to go. Well, I had Jackson on the front of this 10-foot kayak yesterday and I got my big ass in his little kayak, got my ass in it, was able to fit in there, um, trying to balance so we don't flip this thing over. And I told him, I said, get on the front. Hopefully this thing doesn't go below the water line and we can both paddle across to the place where we need to be. To go check on this boat so if somebody could have took a picture of that i'm sure that would have been a pretty funny scenario to see us coming across on this little 10 foot kayak trying to get over to the boat which we made it we were just above the water line i'm 300 pounds guys so i'm not a small guy i got jackson who's 100 something pounds on the front of it we are well over the weight limit on this little 10 foot kayak that he uses to, to hunt out of and here we come across the marsh, paddling over to the boat. We made it over to the boat finally. And when I saw it, I was like, man, we are in some trouble here because I don't know if we're going to be able to get this thing off. You know, going to a, a, a surface drive this year, uh, you know, a lot of you have reverse. And guys, I, you know, I'm in the boating industry. You know that. We sell surface drives we and long tails for that matter. We're, we're a go-devil dealer at our dealership. And I've had guys... Tell me over the years when they're shopping or ask my opinion. They'll say, "Man, what do you think about reverse? What do you think about having reverse on a uh, on on a service drive? Do I need it? Do I need to spend extra money on it?" And in some scenarios, you may not have to. But I can tell you that yesterday was a prime example of how reverse could have helped us because the back end of the boat was in the water, uh, enough water to where if I would have had reverse, I could have probably used the, the horsepower on the motor to get ourselves off of the, the the front end of the boat off of that that mudflat. But with this surface drive we have, it's a straight drive. It's a it's a forward only. Um, so you can't really do that. So you have to you have to use manual labor. Usually, you know, if we get in a situation like that, we'll use a push pole, no problem. You turn the boat around and you go, you know, wherever you got to go. Well, when you're stuck on a mudflat that soft as it was, you really can't use a push pole and get off. So that ain't going to happen. You know, it wasn't going to happen with a push pole. He had to get out, had to get in that, that mud. We were damn near. I was waist deep. It was above my waist, the mud. That's how deep it was. And, uh, and had him push, me push. And we finally were able, after about 35 minutes to you know maybe a, a 45 minutes, somewhere in that range, get this thing off of this little mud flat and turn the boat around to be able to get it out of there before the tide dropped any more. Because if it would have dropped a little bit more, which it was pouring out of there, we would, have, we would have been stranded for quite some time. And guys, where we hunted yesterday, this particular area we've been hunting from the launch, where we launched at, it's a 17-mile run is where we had to go. So it's it's not a close run for us, you know? And with a 23 horsepower, I get, you know, with me and Jackson, the kayak in the boat, all of our decoys, guns, gear, everything we need, we we run with the 23 Copperhead that we're running this season, somewhere in the ballpark of about 20 to 23 miles an hour. With that load, that full load that I'm talking about, we're more about 20, 21, you know, somewhere in that range. So when you're looking at 17 miles from the launch, you have a pretty good run upriver to your hunting hole. So we were a good ways from anybody around us. We hadn't seen a single hunter uh, over the last couple of trips where we've been hunting at. Uh, So nobody around us, which was pretty interesting, you know, it's leased land. It's, it's public land and all, you know, intertwines with each other. And, uh, unless you're lucky enough to have somebody come by, you know, you're going to be stranded for quite some time. So, uh, luckily we were able to get it off. That's the, the point, the, the good point, I guess. Uh, we learned a couple of lessons. Jackson learned a couple of lessons when he's stashing the boat. Next time we go in the second split, we go back stashing a little bit deeper water. Don't, don't run it up on the bank because if that's how it's falling, You're gonna get yourself in some trouble and I think he learned that quickly yesterday so he learned a little lesson there but uh that was that was an interesting story to kind of cap off our last hunt of the first split Uh, you know like I mentioned foggy yesterday on the trip that we had yesterday really wasn't a, a day where the birds were flying a whole lot where we were in our particular area actually it was probably the least amount of birds that we saw flying yesterday that we have seen uh, first split in this particular area that we hunted yesterday so uh, we ended up we ended up taking home harvesting three birds yesterday kind of a kind of a mixed bag once again uh, you know typically if you listen to last show we talked about you know hunting out in the saltwater marshes in this particular area especially it's traditionally it's always been a big gray duck i would tell people hey it's 90 percent gadwall gray ducks that we kill there uh, you mix in five percent teal And then really a couple of models and bufflehead. Bufflehead are a big species down in these areas, these coastal marshes that, uh, tend to show up every year. And really they're, they're pretty fun. They're pretty fun to hunt, especially on years when you don't have a lot of birds. Uh, and you can't be picky. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't be picky with the species that you, you're waiting to shoot. So, uh, they, they tend to act a lot like teal. They fly in little groups like teal do. They look like teal if you've never, hunted buffalo head before you'll, you'll agree that they uh they look like teal the way they fly um so we killed some we killed some buffalo head over the last couple of weeks in that in you know that particular area so yesterday we ended up taking home one one gadwall we had one model duck or a summer mallard like some some people call them um and then we had one buffalo head yesterday now the ironic thing is is while we were you know it was a slow morning for the most part but when we decided to leave and Jackson realized that there was an issue with the boat that kind of cut the hunt a little shorter than we wanted. Um, at that time that we were fighting with that boat to try to get it off of that mud flat that I'm telling you guys about um, the sun was kind of starting to peek through that fog trying to break through that fog and at that point when that sun started hitting those decoys we started having several flocks of bufflehead that were flying into the decoys and drop bombing in the decoys while we were fighting with the boat. We could see them flying right over us and they'd go to our decoys and just drop into the decoys. So, you know, if we wouldn't have had that little task to uh, take on as far as trying to get the boat off of the mudflat yesterday, we probably, and we would have been in the blind, you know, at that point. So we would have probably ended up uh, ended up taking home some more bufflehead, harvesting a couple of more of those. For sure, because like I said, it was groups of five, six. I think we saw one group maybe had 10 or 12 in it. And they were flying while we are trying to do that and get the boat off the flat. They're flying right through the decoys and laying down in the decoys. So if somebody would have been in the blind, we would have had definitely more yesterday than we ended up having. But we got sidetracked. That's okay. I was more worried about getting us out of that marsh yesterday uh, because we we hadn't seen anybody around there. And we were kind of concerned with that. So we got that. Once we got that off, we were completely wore out at that point, guys, and we decided to pack it in and uh, and kind of call it end of the season for the first split. So that's how that's how our hunt went yesterday, and uh, and that's our little story that we can share with you guys from yesterday. But you know, when I look back at first split, and you know, overall for us, like I mentioned, it was a very very good first split for us. I'm happy. I'm very happy actually because I see a lot of. Not only am I happy with the hunts that we made and what we were able to do, um, but I'm really, I'm really excited. I'm excited for the second split because I think the second split has an opportunity this year to be better than the first split we had. And some of you, like I mentioned, the ones that didn't have a good first split, I know that you guys are really anxious to probably get to the second split because you're, you're probably thinking, hey, more cold weather. More birds are gonna push down and it's gonna be it's gonna be even better. Or or maybe we'll turn things around if we didn't have a good first split. And and I hope you're right. I hope I hope that's the situation. I think you are right as far as I think things are gonna get better. But overall, when you look at the first split for the majority of Louisiana, for the majority of us hunting, you know, whether we're hunting public land or private land, it was good, guys. It was it was a good first split for us this year. Things were lining up before the season, and we talked about that. Things were lining up to be good, to be right. You know, with the drought that we talked about throughout the United States, throughout the Mississippi Flyway, which we're in here in Louisiana. The drought, not having water up north above us. The cold weather that we were able to get early on in the split, which was really, really nice. We had some cold temps. If you remember when we kicked things off, all you boys in the west zone, you know, when you opened up. When Venice opened up, which is in the west zone, um, and then followed right by the east zone, it was good. We had some cold temps. We decided the first split that we were going to stay real mobile. Um, you know, we kicked things off in the west zone. Um, Jackson wasn't able to kick it off with me on that particular hunt, but I went down to the saltwater marshes in the west side of it. when it opened up. With a, with a couple of buddies from Game Changer Boats. And we made a weekday hunt the following Monday after opening season had kicked off in the west zone. And we kicked it off right, guys. We had a two-man limit. Or, uh yeah, we had two guys on that trip. We had a two-man limit uh, of G- beautiful gadwall. Um, so that was a great way to kick things off. And it kind of just snowballed from there. It kind of kept rolling from there in that west zone or that coastal zone, or like many of you still call it. Um, but in the Western part, it really kept going pretty much throughout the whole first split. We went over to Hackberry for the opener, for the uh, for the youth opener with uh, some friends of ours and had some, you know, Jackson and his buddy and them that were youth hunting, kicked it off. We knew that there was birds on the west side of the state for sure. That was Hackberry, Louisiana. Um, and as we were driving that I-10 corridor from where we live here in Gonzales to Hackberry, which is you know toward uh, toward you know Orange Texas and all that area, um, there was birds, guys. There was birds early on first split. Um, you saw geese in the fields, which was great to see early on. Like I said, ducks, numbers of ducks, and what what really caught my attention was a wide variety of species of ducks. You know, you look back at pictures of what people killed during the first split, probably more greenheads this year than I've seen in quite some time in the first split here in Louisiana. That's, that's interesting. That tells me that those birds migrated early this year, that there was a push early on. Like I mentioned, drought, cold temperatures. You look at up north over the last couple of weeks, they've received snowfall, quite a bit of snowfall, got really cold up north that's all factors that we need down here down south for any of us in the south to be able to get birds to push down to us especially first split you know you've heard me on the show talk about this before my good buddy mr. Roland Cortez he's over at Dave's Bayou and Lodge they had a they had a phenomenal first split by the way over at Dave's if you look if you follow Roland on social media uh, he's been so busy killing birds that we he and I haven't even got to talk or get together for a podcast. We usually try to do a recap uh, of first split, which we may try to do that here in a couple of weeks and, and uh, kind of recap what other guys had to say, you know, about first split. But uh, but he they, they had such a good first split, but he told me a couple of years ago when I met him, he said, you know, we always talked about pushing birds and birds being pushed down to Louisiana for the second split. He said, growing up, you ever heard your grandparents or your dad or, or your parents say, Man, I can't wait for the second split because the second split's always better than the first. But he actually disagreed with that theory through his years of hunting here in Louisiana and keeping logs that he kept throughout those years. His numbers indicated that he always killed more birds in the first split of the season and not the second split. The big push of birds, in his opinion, came during the first split. And that was really interesting because I was always under the impression and always told growing up that... You know, second split's when you got the push of birds. And, excuse me guys, take a sip of water. So, I had always been under that impression that, yeah, the birds, you know, without looking at my numbers, my my logs that I keep personally, I, I was just in my mind, I always said, yeah, it's always better second split. Well, that's not necessarily the case. When you look back at the numbers and you look back at some of the logs, if you keep logs, The first split has been a very, you know, productive split a lot of times. And a lot of the numbers killed in the state come in that first split because there's a big migration push. They don't have the pressure on them, you know, once they get to the state. And it just, it just makes sense. It kind of makes sense. It kind of all goes hand in hand, you know, but this year, seeing the birds that we saw early on and the amount of birds that kept showing up over the last couple of weeks as we got ready to end the first split, even this week, on this week's you know there's several friends of mine that hunted public land that were shooting new birds new species that were showing up this week on public land that they hadn't seen all the first split and that's a great sign that is an absolute great sign to see you know just in my area not too far from where i am here at home you know we hunt. we have several wildlife management areas that are public land management areas we call them local holes, you know, local places that we hunt, and they are local because they're not far from us. And I'm seeing species of birds this year killed, uh, particularly just to, as an example, canvasbacks. Canvasbacks in this in these areas, these local WMAs that are not too far from here, um, say located around Lake Pontchartrain, Lake Bourne, you know, all those areas like that that carry divers. You'll get your puddle ducks, but you also have a large variety. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of between your saltwater marshes and your freshwater marshes or your brackish marshes. We're seeing birds show up in particular areas and WMAs that I've seen in the last week or two that I've never seen here before. And that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, you know, so, you know, looking for the second split, if we could, you know, keep getting those birds kind of trickle in and funnel in, these new species coming in. And maybe in your area that you hunt, you might be seeing some birds that you don't often see showing up. Or maybe you're seeing, like I mentioned, more mallards, more greenheads, more gray ducks, more wigeon, you know, whatever species is, you know, you may be seeing more birds early on. And I think it's going to continue to funnel into that second split, in my opinion. You know, uh, um, who knows? It's a crapshoot. Y'all know that, guys. It's a cra- absolute crapshoot when it comes to duck hunting. That's just how it is. But, I think the signs, I think from what I've seen first split, as far as the evidence I've seen, I think it's very promising looking at second split, uh, you know, and, and seeing some of these species make their way down here um, to Louisiana, you know, and I hope they stay here. You know, we have a little warming trend, like I mentioned this year. If you remember and you rewinded last year, guys, during December, we hit a real warm trend last year once the season or the split opened back up. Um uh, and it got kind of stale for a little while, so it was tough. You had to move around, you know. Um I hope we don't hit a little warm trend like we we did last year. I really hope we continue to get some of those cold fronts making their way down south, making their way down here. Um uh, if up north you guys continue to keep getting snow. I've had several friends of mine from online from social media that communicate with me and they kind of tell me what they got going on up there and you know they'll see us post and make comments and I've had several of my buddies that are online message and say, hold tight guys, y'all got more coming because they are pushing out from up here, up north, because of the snow and because of the temperatures and the lack of water, you know, they're pushing, we have them here for a couple of days and then they push out, you know, so just sit tight, they coming y'all way and that's been the case, like I mentioned, we continue to see these birds show up and I hope it continues to carry on in that trend as we go into the second split. So I'd be interested to know what you guys think about it, you know, as far as that goes. If, am I right on that? Have you guys seen kind of what I'm talking about? Do you disagree with what I'm talking about? Uh, that's just what I've seen. And that's just my opinion. I'm not saying that's the way it is. Uh, but that's, that's my opinion on what we've seen out there, you know. But like I mentioned, overall, I think Louisiana had probably one of the best first split openers that we've seen in some time. I really do believe that. And I think when you look back at the numbers, eventually when you check your logs, you look back at, at the way things went first split, I think you guys will probably see that it was, overall for the majority of hunters, it was a, it was a good first split, you know? Uh, public land, man, I'm really, I'm really, you know, we hunt 99% public land, Jackson and myself. And I'm really happy to see wildlife management areas, first split, producing some birds, you know? It's not, look guys, on public land, it's tough. You know that. We we always talk about that. You hunt public land, you know how it is, how difficult it can be, especially nowadays. But if you could kill three, four, five, six birds, it doesn't have to be a limit. It doesn't have to be a limit every time you go because that's just not going to happen realistically. You know, there's going to be some guys that kill limits pretty much all the time when they go and they do it on public land. But guys, that's a small majority of the amount of guys that are out there hunting. That's a that's a that's an elite group of, of guys, you know? And uh and, and if they, if you're in that group, hats off to you. Congratulations. You 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 figured it out. You put in your time on the ground, uh, you put in your time scouting online, you know what you're looking for. You might have a group of guys that you communicate with, a group of hunters that you hunt with, that you guys can share information. It takes an entire network now, guys, to hunt public land and be successful all the time on public land. Um, And I truly believe that. It takes a network of people. Um, You know, if you're the average everyday guy who works Monday through Friday and you only get to hunt on weekends and you might be getting into the sport and you're not having a lot of success, don't let it get you down, man. Don't Don't let that get you down. Continue to grind. If you love it, keep at it. If if you if it's you know you've had that one good hunt first split because you getting into the sport and uh and then the rest of them sucked and you're kind of like man uh, should I keep going should I keep doing this kind of look back at that successful hunt that you had I guarantee you it's one of the best times you've probably ever had in your life in the outdoors hunting or fishing those successful hunts is what gets you hooked it's what gets you addicted to this sport and if you had a successful hunt. That means you did something right. No matter if you look at the first bit and say, Hey, it wasn't, it wasn't a success for me overall. If you had one or two successful hunts, you did something right. Take that little bit of what you did right and build on that. There's, and I'm talking to you guys who are new to waterfowl and you know, you're getting into it because your buddies do it. You're doing it because your friends are going out there and then they come back and they tell them all the stories and you say, Hey, I'm interested in that. I want to go do that. We need you guys. We need you guys in the sport. We need new hunters out there. And that's something that I kind of wanted to touch on. That was something I wanted to bring up in this episode. I could tell you from hunting public land and being a public land hunter myself in Jackson, you know, could tell you the same thing. We were having this conversation uh, on one of the last couple of trips. The amount of new hunters that I've seen this year, or I'm not going to say necessarily new, I'm just going to say the amount of hunters. The amount of hunters that I have seen on public land this year in Louisiana at the, at the launches has been baffling to me. A lot of you guys were fired up this year. You were ready to roll. I think the hype, like we talked about, drought, us in Louisiana having the water, cold temperatures early on got a lot of guys fired up. A lot of guys that may have traditionally not started hunting till second split, may have decided they were going to go deer hunting, do some of that, but you love waterfowl hunting but it's a toss-up depending on the weather. That cold weather brought you guys out early this year, and I can tell you that from firsthand experience. You look at the launches this year, I can tell you these these launches around the house that I was mentioning, you know, these these WMAs around the house that we hunt, uh, man, the weekends, my God, you don't want to go on the weekends right now because it has been jam-packed. Hell, not even the weekends, you know? Like, I go to work by, I pass through this area, where there's a couple of wildlife management areas, and on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday morning, it was packed, guys. I mean, I'm talking. I'm talking. You know, traditionally you would have seen, or historically, let me just say, I use traditionally that word a lot. If you guys noticed that, I'm trying to break out of the habit of that. Uh, but historically, let me say that we'll change it up. Historically, you pass by these launches during the week during duck season. You see. One to five boats at the launches. Not this season. You pass by the launches. And like I said, there's 10, 15, 20 boats sometimes. So that tells me a couple of things. That tells me you guys were excited to get going this year. The cold weather helped things out. The chatter of, of, Hey, that we're going to have some ducks this year. It looks like we're going to have a pretty good season or have an opportunity to have a pretty good season there in Louisiana. That got you fired up. And then you hear, you haven't, you hear other people say that they had successful hunts you guys have had successful hunts. And when you do that, well, guess what? You're going to keep going back. And that's what's happening all first split that I've seen guys. So that's awesome. I can tell you that the traffic has definitely picked up this year. Now, more traffic doesn't always necessarily mean good things for you as a hunter. If you're trying to hunt and you got people around you, you know, a couple of things I wish I could have I can get away from is, is, is people sometimes whenever it gets like that, when it gets too crowded and things are going good, word gets out, you know how it is. And, you know, it starts to crowd up around you. And maybe some of those spots that you traditionally, oh, there we go again. There we go again, historically, hunted, guys. Then maybe it's time to try to get away from some of that pressure and you got to start looking for other options in plan B, plan C, and so on. You know, and that's what we try to do. Jackson and I try to get away from the pressure as best as we can. As smartly as we can, but also sometimes you just gotta look at it and say, Okay, that's where the birds wanna be. You're gonna have to join a party. And you're gonna have to go if you hunt in public land and you're a public land hunter, you're gonna have to join that party sometimes and just go go get in line and and, and sleep in your truck, maybe sometimes, and you know, get there earlier sometimes and uh and and, and participate in that party. That's just the way it is. You can't Run from the birds. You got to go where the birds are. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? You know, what are we doing if we, if we get trying to get away from the birds and the people? You know, at that point, so uh, don't let people deter you from going. You know, if the birds want to be there, you might just have to get there earlier. I can tell you that this this season, I had a friend of mine referencing on one of his videos lately in uh, on YouTube. He has a big social, a uh, big YouTube channel. And social media presence. And uh, he was trying to hunt a hole. He tried to hunt a hole the other day. I think it was two times in a row he tried to hunt that hole. And he said, man, he said, we got there 4 o'clock. And here in Louisiana, it's 4 a.m. You can't enter a wildlife management area until 4 a.m. to be legal. And uh, many of you probably in other states are the same way. You have a certain time. And uh, he he said, man, when I got in there, he says, I know I was on time. And we already had hunters in there that were set up and waiting. And, uh, and that happened to me and Jackson. You know, we tried to make a hunt, a little paddling hunt that we tried to make a couple of weeks back. And, uh, we were hoping to get in this hole. We got there right at four o'clock. We were ready to roll, had our gear ready to bring in with us and, and get in the water. And, uh, and when I got there, they had two trucks there already. And this was before four o'clock that we arrived there, uh, in the parking lot. So I looked at Jackson. I said, man, I said, I hope that maybe that's some work commuters or or somebody parking there to go to work, maybe taking a ride, you know, with somebody else. I said, but I have a feeling with the duck duck season being open, I said, there's probably somebody that either went in there and slept in there or they got in there early. And sure enough, that was the case when we, when we paddled into this spot that we wanted to go to, this blind that we were hoping to get to. Boy, we had that, that spotlight flashing us, flashing us, flashing us. And I turned my headlight on and I kind of, I kind of pointed toward them. And when I pointed toward them, they already had full decoy spread put out already. And we were, I looked at my watch and it was about 4.15, you know, so there's no way that they had paddled in without us seeing them first, um, got to that spot and threw out decoys. It's just not how, there's not that much time, you know, they would have had to do that too quickly. So that just tells you that they had got there early. They got there before four o'clock, entered the wallet management area early. And they they wanted that hole because they had seen somebody have some success in that hole. And they wanted that hole to get to, to be able to have a, uh, to have an opportunity to have a good successful hunt. Or maybe they're the ones who had got there and hunted it and had a successful hunt. They were trying to reclaim it, you know? So, you know what? I'm not mad at those guys. I'm not mad at guys that do that, you know? If, you know, honestly, I think back in the day, you know, when I look back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I was hunting wildlife management era, especially like when I was in college and stuff like that, the game wardens and stuff, they really didn't enforce that stuff too much. You know, if you entered the wildlife management area for a duck hole to go duck hunting, and you wanted to get there the night before and sleep in your truck, or leave a little early, as long as you didn't cause a disturbance, or, you know, trash up the place, none of that stuff. Do Do, do, just do stupid, idiotic stuff, you know? Then they would really never bat an eye at guys that were dedicated to it, and wanted to get in there and make a successful hunt by getting there early, you know? But nowadays, it seems like they've kind of tightened up on all that stuff, depending on where you hunt, you know? They they have tightened up on a lot of that stuff. You know, the states are always hurting for so much money, <clears throat> and these guys got to write X amount of tickets. I'm sure they have quotas, I'm sure, at some point, uh, and pressure on them to try to write tickets, you know? And for somebody leaving the launch early or catching a guy leaving the launch early, That's an easy ticket to write if they really want to enforce that and catch people. Um, So it's it's an easy way to make money if they got to make money. And at the same time, technically, they're doing their job because that's the rule on the WMA, you know. So but on the other hand, man, I I can't fault these guys. If they want to get out there early, they want to go out there and they want to they want to sleep in a damn P-Rog overnight to try to get a duck hole. You know what? In my opinion, and this is once again just my opinion, more power to them, man. We used to do it. I used to do it when I was in my uh teenage years. I did it coming up through college in my 20s, 30s. Now I'm in my 40s. I'm not I'm not about that game no more. You know, unless I know that it's just absolutely jam up. I'm not about that game. And secondly, I got my son with me. You know, Jackson's 13, about to turn 14. I try to be by the book. I do. I try to be by the book on everything because I'm teaching him, you know, I'm I'm his mentor as his father and him and I are two peas in a pod. We duck up. We together all the time during duck season. So I want to make sure that I'm teaching him the right thing once he gets old enough, you know, to go out on his own, go out with his buddies. If he wants to go in a WMA early and sleep to try to get a duck hole and take that chance of getting a ticket, then that's up to him but guess what? Daddy ain't paying the ticket. You know? And I told him that. I said, hey, you decide to do that. This is the rules. They lay out the rules every year in a pamphlet and online that you can read. And not to say that we've never broken a rule. I don't want to act like I'm perfect because we have. And we've done stuff like that too. But if you take that chance, that's something you're willing to do to, to, to get that ticket. Then that's up to you, you know? But, uh, But I can't fault those guys as my point for trying to get in there early. Is it frustrating sometimes if you get there on time and you play by the rules and you don't get that spot? Yeah, it's frustrating sometimes, you know, but that's why it's important to scout. That's why it's important to have a plan B, C, and so on, you know, and, uh, and those guys like that are mentioned right there. I knew they had got there early in that situation. I rolled by their blonde. I said, good morning. How y'all doing? Uh, good, I said, man, did y'all hunt this weekend? You know, and uh, the guy said, yeah, we hunted in here this weekend. And uh, he said we couldn't get this spot, but somebody else did, and they killed. I think it was a three man limit. He told us, you know, uh, so that's great to see. A, the first thing I, that caught my attention on that was that they had had success in the area we were in. So our scouting and the advice that we had got or help that we had got from somebody that we talked to. It showed that it was paying off because they had had success in that era we we're in. So that I get kind of pumped up to be honest with you. Instead of getting mad about it, take it the other way, kind of get pumped up. Ask them how their hunt was, you know, cause they already know what I find is that when people know that when you meet up with other hunters in a, in a, in a hunting spot and you know, or they know that they did something illegally and you kind of, they're aware that you know it they they kind of tend to give you a little bit of information if you ask a few questions, you know, like, hey, how'd y'all do or, you know, what y'all killed or or what species are y'all seeing? I, I always find that people kind of open up to you at that point because they know that they're in the wrong, they got there too early or they, they did this, you know, and it's against the rules. And they don't want you maybe calling, I guess, I guess that's what people think. Maybe you'll call the game board or, you know, something like that. And some people probably would, you know, because they they get, they get that... But hurt over stuff like that, that they probably would. But I've always, that, that stuff's never bothered me. I try to get a little bit of information out of those people, uh, and just, just kind of see what they saw because I wasn't there. So I want to find out, hey, am I wasting my time? What can I kind of expect when I go to plan B in this area? You know, and, uh, and just kind of pick their brain on what they did. I met, I made a lot of friends that way on public land hosts, to be honest with you, you know, Um I had a, I had a guy just, two days ago that I, I hunted with last year on a wildlife management area here in Louisiana that, uh you know, it was one of those situations where we had built a, a, or helped contribute to building just a temporary brush blonde, nothing permanent uh, because it was public land, but it was just a cut, cut some cane, lay some cane down. And uh, we had went in there and I think it was last year, it was a, a blonde that was built from teal season. So, It was in an area where I saw some ducks when we were scouting. So we went in there, we added some brush to it, kind of touched it up for big duck season. And then one morning we were in it. We had made it to the blind legal time. Everything was good. And this guy comes rolling in by himself and he says, hey man, he says, you need to, you need to get out the blind. He said, that's my blind. And I was like, what do you mean that you're blind? And you know, had that conversation. That's anyway, um, he said, man, I, I added brush to this blonde. So, well, we added brush to the blonde, too, and this and that. And it kind of explained our situation. It wasn't nothing heated. We didn't get into a pissing match over it. And I, he was by himself. And I ended up saying, hey, I said, man, come just come home with us. The blonde's big enough. Uh, I had Jackson, one of his little buddies, that we were taking duck hunting for the first time. And we had plenty enough room for one more guy. And there was birds in this particular area. Now, what's funny is he didn't know that there were birds in this particular area uh, because when he scouted it or went bring brush to it, he, uh, he hadn't seen no birds that day and he admitted that to us, you know, but I knew that there was some birds there because we had hunted it and we had had success and then we had scouted it and there were still some birds in the area at the time. So we knew, we kind of knew what we were, what we were doing there. And, uh, we ended up having a really successful hump. I'm glad he agreed to come and hunt with us. Especially having an older guy with two two young boys with him, you know, he could have said, no, nah, man, you go ahead and hunt with your kids," uh, but he he decided to take up the offer. He came in, he hunted with us, and we ended up we ended up hammering him that day. We had a really good hunt. So I get a call from him the other day, man, and he's like, "Hey, hey, Jacob, what's going on, man? Uh, did y'all hunt over there? You know, this year in this particular spot?" And I was like, "Look, we were in that area a few days ago. Uh, I'm not seeing the amount of birds that we had last year in there." Uh, but I, I filled him in. I said, Hey, that old blind that we brushed up last year is still standing there. Nobody, nobody, uh, touched it this year, but somebody did, did build another little brush blind off to the side, kind of told him where that was. Um, you know, in case he got there and nobody was there, he'd have an opportunity to know what to look for, to be able to hunt. He wouldn't have to worry about trying to build a blind or none of that stuff. So, uh, you know, the point of the story is, and the moral of the story is that we helped each other out. A year later, after we met last year, uh coming together on public land and you know just having a conversation, ended up hunting together. And uh not that he's a good friend of mine or nothing, you know, we become best friends, but he's a point of contact that hey, we could reach out to each other if we have problems we run into in that area, somebody breaks down, uh, or you know, we share a little bit of information with each other, you know, on what's going on, what to look for. So as a matter of fact, he kind of reminds me, guys, and I, I want to reach out to him, see how I was hunting with this weekend, because he told me he was going to go. So I'm interested to see how he did. But, um, but yeah, you know, a lot of traffic. That's how we kind of got started on this conversation. A lot of traffic this year. I'm seeing a lot more traffic than we, than we've had in the previous years, in my opinion. Um, and you know what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing, in my opinion. Um, it's not always all good, but in general, at the end of the day, we're bringing you guys to the sport. We get more guys involved, more people are having success in their hunts, obviously, than they've had. It gives them a reason to get up out there and go. And in my opinion, that's a, that's a great thing, man. You've heard me say that before. I truly believe that it is a great thing. You know, uh, yeah. I always don't want the pressure. I want to try to get away from some of that pressure. But at the same time, I want to uh, I want to make sure that uh, everybody's having a good time. Everybody's staying safe out there. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, we all kind of benefit from it. So that's a good thing guys. So, you know, I had, I talked about, you know, looking back at our first, uh, first split guys, some changes that we made, you guys heard me reference going to the surface drive this year. That's a, that's something that I can't talk enough about first split this year. That has really, really helped us out. Me and Jackson, in my opinion, uh, Man, I tell you what, it took me a long time to get rid of that old long tail that I had. And I think that there is definitely a place for a long tail in today's modern hunting, you know, waterfowl for waterfowl. Um, you know, a lot of you guys coming up, the younger generations, a lot of you guys, you don't know that old long tail history or, or you kind of know the history, but you never had a long tail or maybe you did. Maybe you started out with a long tail. A lot of guys now are surface drive. We're in a surface drive revolution. And, and you know, uh, and that's that's good. That's good with me, you know. But I think there is definitely still a place for long tail mud motors. <clears throat> it took me a while, like I mentioned, to kind of make that decision to go to a surface drive. Really, the only reason I went to a surface drive is because I'm getting a little older. I'm getting more wear and tear on my body from driving that, that 35 horse long tail that we had for so long. We hunt a lot of areas down here in Louisiana where it is it is tricky. You know, you got a lot of cypress stumps. You got a lot of wood. We hunt a lot of tight areas in the woods at certain times of the season. And uh that 35 got us everywhere we had to go for many, many years. And when I traded it in this season, guys, for this surface drive, in the back of my mind, I was kind of worried. I'll be honest with you, and I've referenced this before. I was kind of worried about getting rid of that long tail because it had never let me down. Uh, it was reliable. When I had got stuck on mud flats or stuff like that, I could push off of there no problem. I, I could dig a trench, I could push out of it, and I could get out of it. <clears throat> but the one thing that kept wearing on me every year was the wear and tear on my body. You know? Um you know you get in wood with long tails, you're gonna feel it. There's a lot of wear and tear on your body. Um, uh, and that's one thing that I was looking to get away from. Another reason that we made that switch this season, especially the first split before the first split, we wanted to get it wrapped up before the season started was that we started hunting a lot more marsh nowadays. You know, when I came up, we hunted a lot of timber, a lot of woods. We stayed in the woods, you know, but being public land duck hunters, it's not always that situation. You're not, we, we made a decision a couple of years ago when I started on with Jackson, I said, we're now, since you are old enough to to start literally hunting with me, not just dad bringing you and making it an event just to get you used to hunting. That you becoming a hunter now. We're gonna we're gonna change things up. It's gonna get tougher. We're gonna go where the birds are. We're gonna go where the ducks are. You know. We're gonna make more effort to stay mobile. And we started hunting the marshes a lot more down here in Louisiana. Um, you know. And when we did that, a surface drive made a lot more sense for us. You know, it really did because it was a little quicker. Um, uh, and you could sit down and operate it. You didn't have to stand up everywhere you went, have to manhandle that handle of holding on to that, like I did with that 35 long tail. Um, and, and it, it just, it made life easier. That's the best way to sum it up, you know? And, uh, I'm 100% happy with it for the most part. Now I will say, ironically, I've almost been stuck twice this year because, <laughs> well, not because of that, but in two situations, I was telling you guys about the one yesterday we had, which that's not that's not the motor at all. That's nothing between a long tail or a uh, service drive. I would have got stuck with a long tail with the tide falling out, uh, just like I, I could have got stuck yesterday if we would have ended up waiting a little bit longer. But right when, before the season started, we were in a situation where we got stuck, me and my youngest son, and uh, you guys probably saw it if you watch, follow our YouTube channel. We had a video on it where we got stuck and we had to get some buddies come and and kind of pull us out. Uh, But that was my fault really because I tried to run a ditch that I probably shouldn't have ran. I misjudged the water level on it. Uh, But if I'd have had that 35 long tail, I would have been able to get out of that situation without having to call for help. So that's the one time since I've had the surface drive that I I look back and I'm like, ah, you know, if I'd have had that long tail, I wouldn't have had to call for help to come get me, you know? I could have dug that that long tail down into the mud and pushed us through where we were stuck at. To so where with my little surface drive, I didn't have the leverage. I didn't have the length on the shaft of that motor to get down far enough into that deeper water to push the boat and propel it over where we were stuck at. Um, but you know what? That's really at the end of the day, that's not nothing to do with the motor. That's just my fault. I made a bad judgment call there. So you know that's a lesson learned. Hopefully, and I don't try to do that again. Uh but you know overall I'm very happy with the with making that transition to the surface drive this year. So that's been a big plus for us first split. Um I enjoy on my way back to the launches. I could sit down, I could I could run and you know be comfortable. And at the end of the day, we also get a little bit more speed than we got with a bigger long tail out of the surface drive. So that's been something that I'm happy with also. Um and, and I'm not one of those guys that's obsessed with speed. I don't have to run 30 miles an hour. I don't have to run 35 miles an hour. If my setup that I could afford to have is, you know, 21 miles an hour or 23 miles an hour, then I just accommodate for that when I make my plan my trips and where I'm going to run to. Um, as far as the, the power, as far as getting me through the mud, I can tell you that a 23 has been really sufficient for us this year. You know, I have a 1648 uh, aluminum boat that I have it on and it has done everything we have asked it to do and more so far this season. So very happy so far with that transition. That's something that that was a big, big decision for us for first split this year. So another thing that I want to bring up, guys, kind of fill you all in that I did this year that uh, that I have absolutely fell in love with is, uh, is talking firearms. Whenever we're talking firearms, you know, traditionally, <laughs> there we go again. I, it's just a habit, guys. I'm sorry. I say that word for some reason all the time. Historically, through the years, once I graduated to, you know, where I was old enough to hunt on my own, uh, we all start out with small, small shotgun calibers. You know, when I, when I was a kid, my dad had a 410 for me. Eventually I, I went to a 20 gauge. Then I moved up to a 12 gauge. I have duck hunted with a 12 gauge. I can't even tell you how long since, since I've been in high school or maybe even before maybe grade school, may have been. Once I went to a 12 gauge, I never got away from a 12 gauge. Well, last year I made a purchase um, and I had shared it with you guys that follow us on social media that I had purchased a 20 gauge, but it wasn't for Jackson and it wasn't for Hudson, my two sons, it was for me. And I was intrigued because I had watched a video and and several videos with, uh, I think it was Tony Vandemore actually, At Habitat Flats. I think it's Tony Vandemore that that kind of got me thinking about things. And he was using a 20-gauge Benelli. He was shooting a 20-gauge Benelli shotgun. And uh, and man kills more ducks than anybody on TV, you know, that that you see out there. They have a, a phenomenal setup at Habitat Flats. And they get birds year after year. And they kill numerous amounts of birds throughout the year. And Tony was talking about on one of the shows how he, he had made a switch with Benelli to a 20-gauge and that it's one of the best decisions he had ever made because it just, a couple of things, it was much lighter, uh, easier, to, easier to swing through on the shots with, uh, you know, when 12-gauge uh, with the pandemic started getting real tough uh, to get ammunition, not that those guys probably had trouble getting ammunition because, you know, they have big sponsors and, you know, ammunition sponsors and stuff like that. But twelve gauge was starting to get hard to find. You'd go into the stores, you couldn't find twelve gauge, but you could find twenty gauge at first. That was some you could still find. Uh, and he was talking about how a couple of his buddies had switched to twenty gauges. They were easier to get ammunition for, and they enjoyed all the other benefits that I mentioned. You know, so I went. I went to Cabela's last year, and I was just I was shopping for some other stuff, and I went. I just happened to stumble into their gun library. And if you haven't been in a Cabela's, you, you guys are probably familiar with the gun library. Um, they sell used guns. They sell new guns that are maybe discontinued. They sell uh, guns that they buy at auctions. It could be new or used that they buy at auctions. And they put them in these gun libraries and they sell them. You know, now sometimes you got to watch what you buy in those things because I worked for Cabela's for 13 years. And I know that sometimes they higher priced in the gun library than you could go buy them on the counter in the gun department at uh, the same store. So you got to kind of watch what you buy and look for the good deals, but you can find good deals from time to time, uh, on in there. There's definitely some deals that you can find. So last year I went in there and I was looking, I always swing by there looking at kind of what they got used and pre-owned and, and also new. And, uh, they had a Stoger 3020. It was a model 3020 by Stoger. Now I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the inertia driven shotguns. I've, I've been a fan of Frankie for many years uh, I shoot the Fronky in my 12 gauge. Um, I've had Benelli. I actually had several Benellas. Uh, and I ended up going back to Franke over the years because I just tend to like the Franke's the way they felt when I shot them a little bit better than the Benelli. Now, I know that the Benelli is a more expensive shotgun. Uh, but like I said, it's not really, it's not about the name for me. You know, personally, it's not about the name. It's more about the feel. And any good, you know, any hunter, I don't want to classify myself as a good hunter, but any hunter that hunts a lot and has a feel for what they like in the field eventually guys you're not going to you're not going to hunt for the, the name in other words you're not going to shoot a benelli cuz benelli is supposedly the best out there or you know bared is the best out there uh, when a lesser expensive shotgun may feel better to you may perform just as good and as a fraction of the price you know i hate I hate the big gun debate over when people get into certain brands and, oh, this brand's better than that brand. And, oh, you bought an Academy shotgun. That's a piece of shit because it's $400 versus my Benelli. That's $1,300. All that stuff aggravates the absolute shit out of me, you know, and and I've never really got caught up into that. And I think a big part of that is because I was raised poor. I wasn't raised with with a, a silver spoon in my mouth where I could just get any gun I wanted or my dad could buy the most expensive guns. I always had the Walmart specials growing up. I had the cheapest guns that you could go to Walmart that my dad could afford. And you know what? Those those ninety nine dollar H and R's that my dad bought a single crack barrel performed just as good as some of the higher end guns that I've been able to afford and use throughout the years. So I don't get caught up. My point is in the, in the brands too much. I think some of these guns that you buy at academy that are Turkish brand guns where. A lot of the major manufacturers are made in Turkey now, and other countries that are really good at making firearms, but they have a different stamp on them, uh, you know, than the name brand stamp. I think some of those guns are probably just as good, you know. I really do, in my opinion. And I've I've had some of those budget guns. I've had really really good luck with a lot of those guns. I'm a I'm a big shotgun collector, so I, I've I've bought a lot of inexpensive shotguns, and I've bought some high end shotguns that I have in a gun cabinet right here near the studio where we're recording this podcast. Um, you know, so one thing that I did do though, when I walked into that Cabela's last year is I came across that Stoker 3020 and something just told me, I was like, I need to pick this gun up. It, it was a, it was about a hundred, $150 off of what they sold for a retail. Uh, and the gun looked like it was brand new. Now it was under the pre-owned section. So it had been owned by somebody. Uh, but whoever owned it didn't, didn't use it at all or very much at all. Um, so I went ahead and I made that decision last year. I said I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna pick this gun up. And second split of the season last year, I hunted with it a couple of times, and I started I started liking it a lot. I started liking just the weight. It was so easy to carry. I have a sling on it. I could throw it on my shoulder. Uh, being mobile as a public land hunter, I could go out there. I could I could track in the woods with it. Take it through the water. If I got if I'm walking through water, I can throw it on my shoulder. And I don't even feel it. The, the, the weight difference is, is insane compared to my 12 gauges that I've had. And uh, and then I noticed when I throw up at a bird, I just got on, on sight very quickly. It swung real well. Uh, just just overall, I liked it, you know. So I said going into this season, I said, okay, I, you know, I'm going to stock up on some 20-gauge uh, ammunition this year. I went to Boss, uh, Boss Shot Shell's website. I picked up some boss early on this year. Uh, I said I'm downsizing in the gauge, but I want to, I want to shoot some good shells in this thing for waterfowl season because, <coughs> excuse me, I want to make sure that if I'm going down in size, in the back of my mind, I still had that question. Will I have the killing capability that I had with my 12 gauge? And I'm going to answer something for you guys on that on that question right there. If you ever thought about going to a 20-gauge or your buddies have told you, man, why are you shooting a 20-gauge or why would you want to go to a 20-gauge? Because you're going to kill less birds. You won't be able to get the distance out of it. Uh, I heard all kinds of stuff from several of my buddies that I hunt with. And I'm going to tell you guys that that's an absolute myth for the most part. Um, that 20-gauge has been incredible for me this year. And I have had guys that I hunt with that were doubters, or or not necessarily doubters, but were kind of when I told them I was shooting a twenty gauge, you know, going into the hunt, kind of looked at me and kind of okay, you know, you could kind of tell they were like, why the hell you want to shoot a twenty gauge, man, you know, you, you know, you just it's not going to be what you need. And I have made shots on birds this first split, guys, that I made with my twelve gauge, or maybe some that I never even hit with my twelve gauge by going to that 20 gauge, that was incredible. I'll be honest with you, and it has totally changed my persona on a smaller gauge, you know, for waterfowl hunting. It's it's totally changed my my persona on that and my my opinions on that. Um, I'm so happy making that switch to the 20 gauge this year that my fronky, that I shoot, I shoot a Franke affinity normally. That's what I've shot over the last couple of seasons. That gun has not made it out of the gun cabinet one time this season yet. i have not taken it out of the gun cabinet. I cannot put the 20 gauge down because I love it so much. And, you know, we talked about brands a while ago. I bought a Stover. I was shooting a Frankie, which is a higher end. You know, they're all made by the Benelli family, which Beretta owns them all now. They own Benelli, uh Frankie and Stover, I think. Um... But they're, Fronky's, you know, higher than Stoger and then Benelli's above the Fronky. You guys know that. Uh, I can tell you that I'm super impressed with Stoger. This is my first Stoger shotgun that I've ever had. And I've heard guys talk shit about Stoger that uh had other brands. or They said that they had had Stogers and they were the biggest piece of shits that they had ever had in their lives and they would never buy Stoger again. Uh, or just kind of like I said, kind of trash talking certain brands because of what they had heard quote unquote or what they had experienced themselves supposedly. Uh, and I can tell you that I'm, I'm, I'm as impressed with that Stoger shotgun, that 20 gauge Stoger that I bought as any Benelli I've ever had, any Frankie that I've ever had that were higher end. I've had high end Remington's through the years. I had Brownings, a couple of Brownings, you know, I, I've had many different name brand shotguns and I will tell you that the quality of that Stoger shotgun, in my opinion, and this is my opinion only, is that it's just as good, guys, as what I've seen in the other higher-end guns that I've bought personally. Now, a lot of people say, well, time will tell. You're right. And time will tell a lot of times on that stuff. Uh, but when you look at the build quality of that Stoger 3020, I'm shooting, as compared to my fronky affinity that I'm shooting... It's a lot of same parts. It's a lot of interchangeable parts that you see on the guns. One's a 20 now and one's a 12 gauge. So obviously different sizes and certain things, but the parts all look to be same quality, same machining, same type of craftsmanship, the way it's put together. I've broken, break, uh, broken it down, sorry, broken it down uh twice during the first split, cleaned it and very much the internals are, are very similar to each other. So, Uh, very happy. That's my point with this gun. Going to a 20 gauge, guys. I have not been able to take it out of my hand yet. Um, I'm so happy with it. I have to tell you, I can't, I can't complain at all. Jackson's actually tried to ask me to hunt with it a few times and I won't let it go. I will not let it go. He's won one now. Now, one of my best friends, uh, that I've had on the show and several episodes with us, Troy Fontenot. Uh, Troy is uh, one of the best hunters I know. He's a big waterfowl hunter as well. And, I hunted with him during the first split, and he saw the gun, held it, looked at it, uh, saw the performance that was coming, you know, from it whenever I, we were making shots. And now he's talking about getting one. He wants one so bad it's killing him right now. He told me last night, he said, he said, Jacob, I got a gun in my gun closet that i never even used that I'd love to trade to get me a 20-gauge. He said, I want to start shooting a 20-gauge like you do in this season, you know. And uh, he, he saw. He saw the results. He saw how impressive it is, the weight difference. Uh, the swing ability of it, that type of stuff. And, uh, it's just something else guys that you could try, you know, maybe, maybe try it out if you got a 20 gauge in the closet and, uh, and you, you've always thought about maybe making a few hunts with it, make a few hunts with it, see if you guys like it and how you enjoy it because, uh, it may not be for everybody, but, but it is for me. I love it, you know, and, uh, it's going to be hard to go back to that 12 gauge affinity that frank affinity, uh, and put that stoker down. I'll be honest with you. And I, and I told myself, I said, if this gun continues to hold up and perform like it's been doing uh, from the camo finish to the, to the way it operates uh, when it's dirty, dragging it through the swamps here in Louisiana, dragging it through the mud, all that type of stuff. If it continues, I said, then I would definitely, when I go to buy a gun for my son or for myself down the road, I would definitely look at Stoger as an option. I would, you know, and I don't have no affiliation with Stoger whatsoever. Uh, I wish I did. I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, so I'm not pumping them just to, to blow smoke up your ass because we we partnered with somebody or sponsor with somebody, but uh, that's the truth. That that is the truth on the situation. So that's a big change that we made this year, guys, or that I made personally this year. First split that I'm really happy about this year, uh, and it's just it's it's been it's been a great switch on that as well. So uh, trying to think, guys, anything else that I want to recap this year? Uh, just. I say this year like the season's over. It's not over at all. But, you know, first split, we I talked about us staying mobile. And, uh, you know, we really did. We stayed mobile. The game plan that we kind of had, I, I like the way we, we, we stuck to it. I like the way it worked out for us for the most part. We started out in uh, the northwest corner of the state for the youth weekend. I mentioned that earlier in this episode with the youth weekend. Uh, I never got to go back and make a trip to where I could hunt over there down in Hackberry with my buddy Lance. Uh, not first split, but we are, we have been talking. We're going to get together second split. We're going to uh, make another hunt. We're going to go down and join the guys over at Go Devil. Go down to their place that they got in Hackberry, Louisiana. And guys, when I tell you it's a phenomenal place and setup that they got over there, it's it's, it's a really nice setup over there, man. You talk about great people. That is just a group of great people, man. Uh, you know, we deal with their product through the store. We sell their product. That's kind of how I got to. You know, I, I got. I've always known Mr. Warren since we've been a dealer for them over at Go Devil. But Lance and I didn't know each other to previously until our sons were playing baseball. We ended up they played baseball together. And Jackson and his son are the same age. Ended up playing baseball. And whenever he found out who I was, and he was like, "Well, wait a second, you sell." uh go devil at your dealership yeah and we struck up a a relationship and uh just just a cool guy man just an average everyday joe good dude man with a lot of duck hunting knowledge it has been really fun to pick lance's brain on a lot of that stuff um and just kind of get his opinions on a lot of uh, the history of waterfowl hunting i'm you know we all love that if you're a serious waterfowl hunter you love hearing all that type of stuff and you know, seeing what he saw with his dad coming up through the years and being able to hunt on some of those hunts that he made, um, just a ton of knowledge, man. I've seen a lot of stuff. A guy that's a little younger than me, which I'm 43 years old and Lance is a little few years younger than me. Guy has a ton of knowledge, man. So getting the opportunity to go down to Hackberry where they got their lease up there or their, their place up there. It's not a lease, it's their property. Um, That opened up a whole different part of Louisiana that I never got to experience uh, and that I'm grateful for to be able to make that trip and go with them on. And we're going to go back second split of the season. We're going to hopefully get you guys some more film so we can put that on video like we did for the first split during Youth Weekend. Uh, But the southwest corner of the state was really good, guys. Um, You know, then we we went east, back east into the coastal marshes. Really good there. Uh, you know, I think the, the down on the coastal marshes has probably been one of the brightest spots on the east side this year, uh, although there's some other good reports that we've gotten that we've seen personally through the east zone this year uh, in the first split so far. So uh, that was really good. We went up to north Louisiana on another trip that we were invited on where we went up to uh, Russell Sage Wildlife Management Area up there hunted with a, a buddy of ours, and that and I referenced this in one of the last episodes, guys. I think it was the last episode. That wildlife management area, you talk about impressive for a wildlife management area in Louisiana. Uh, a lot of people talk shit on our wildlife management areas, and they have reason to because there's a lot of a lot of mishandling on the way it's managed. A lot of lack of funds, quote unquote, what they tell us uh, that they can't do this because they don't have the funds, or they can't do that because they have the funds. Well, guys, go up to North Louisiana, go hunt Russell Sage, go hunt Wham Break, go hunt those areas up there that are historically good for waterfowl hunting, and see that the way that those places are managed as compared to some of the wildlife management areas down south. It's a night and day difference, in my opinion, how much nicer it was in the northern wildlife management areas that we got to go to uh, throughout the years, not just this year, not just going to Russell Sage this year. <clears throat> we hunted Tensaw, which was not a wildlife management area. It was a Federal Reserve, but extremely nice. We hunted that for years. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, BEF WMA. Much nicer than a lot of the wildlife management areas for waterfowl that we've seen down here. Just managed a lot better. Uh, you wonder, wonder why more birds show up in those areas? Because they take care of those areas. They, they, they add water. Water needs to be added. They're working on trying to get invasive species out of those areas that are clogging up those waterways that they've had open for so many years that attracted those waterfowl. Down here, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, in southeast and south Louisiana, it just seems like they, they really don't give a shit sometimes, you know, and I hate to say that, but that's kind of how it feels, you know, that's the feel of the, of the situation. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that's necessarily, that's a fact, but... It feels that way, you know, and I'd like to see some improvement there. Um, You know, but my point is Northern part of the state really impressed with it this year when we made that trip to Russell Sage, Uh, more birds. And I said this on the last episode, more birds than I've seen probably in any wildlife management area in Louisiana in my history of of hunting uh, wildlife management areas. I had never been to Russell Sage before I went on this trip this year. And, uh, and I will definitely go back. I will definitely be making a trip back. Um, I want to learn that place a little bit more. Um, and, and and I think it's, I think it's a gem. I really do. I think it's a gem in our state. And, and guys, I'm sorry if y'all from North Louisiana, you probably don't want to hear me saying that on a podcast, but I'm just being honest. I'm keeping it real. I'm giving you, it's coming from, from love to be honest with you because I was, I was that impressed with that area. So, you know, I'm not saying everybody head on over to Russell Sage and go go hit him up, but um, it's definitely something you want to check out if you have an opportunity to go up there and hunt. It's it's worth it. It'll probably be worth it, guys. So I was really impressed with that. So if you look at it, we touched, Jackson and I touched three corners of the four corners of the state of Louisiana this year, you know, uh, and really success in all those areas. Birds were in all those areas, which... Tells me and reaffirms that there were a lot of birds this year, guys, down in the state in the first split. So uh, I think that's gonna continue into the second split. Like I mentioned, I think it's I think as this cold weather continues to trickle in across the, the, the flyway, the snow continues to fall, hopefully, in the upper portions of the flyway. It's gonna only help us down here. It's gonna get us uh get us more birds for the second split, hopefully. Uh, and then hopefully we could just keep them here. When we get them here, let's keep them here long enough to where we could have some success, uh, you know, and we can have a successful uh, second split of the season. So I'm looking forward to that. We've had more rainfall fall in the last couple of weeks that, you know, in areas where we did need some rain. I think you guys are probably getting a little bit of rain now, enough to be able to bring those water levels up, uh, you know, and, and get some birds in your areas, hopefully, you know. Um, so that's that's a good thing as well. Mother Nature has seemed to cooperate with us really well as far as the state uh, this year with the, with the cooler temps early on, the rainfall a little bit later. Now, since we're getting ready to go into the second split, what I like is that we're leaving the first split yesterday, closing the first split with a lot of birds that were here this week. <clears throat> cold temperatures expected up north, some really cold temperatures, going to bring some snow. <clears throat> so I think that's going to keep the birds that are here, here, hopefully. And, you know, no pressure on them for the next couple of weeks. That's really going to be a, a good a good uh, mix for a successful opener, hopefully, to the second split. Now, our second split, I don't know what we're going to do yet. We, uh, Man, we, we haven't been able to catch up with a couple of friends that we wanted to catch up with over the last couple of years with COVID. Uh, you know, you know, historically, we've made a trip uh, over to Marksville, Louisiana, uh, to do some hunting with a good buddy of ours, David Lemoyne. I'm bringing up David because he's had some success. They're in the E Zone where they hunt. He's had some success. He had a good bit of birds showing up the last week or so in uh, in his area that he hunts. And uh, and he's been trying to get us to go down there, Jackson and I. And uh, we're, we may even try to go down, there, go up to Morgsville, Louisiana and meet him for the opener of the second split uh, and, and team up with Troy. Maybe our friend Troy is going to come over and uh and team up so we talked about that but really it's kind of up in the air we're going to do some scouting during this this two weeks off we got a couple of places we want to go go kind of check out you know and uh and kind of check out our surroundings kind of find some some ways to get into them we've already done some studying online uh so i want to check out a few things but you know what's funny is a lot of, i hear a lot of guys they're like man whoo you get that, that break between the splits we don't we we don't really we keep going we keep uh we keep putting in some time some boots on the ground and we're going to kind of keep uh keep going with that stuff to try to keep on the birds as we get ready to open into the second split we're also going to be going into the woods you're going to notice from the first split if you watch the videos that we have on our youtube channel and our social media platforms we're in the marshes the the you know freshwater marshes the coastal marshes quite a bit during the first split You'll probably continue to see some of that with us, but you're also going to see us bring, getting tucked back into the woods a little bit more. If we continue to get these, these, uh, the weather, you know, like we hope we get, uh, hopefully once that pressure and second split starts kicking up going into January and stuff like that, we're going to get more tucked back into timber. We're going to try to get some of those, some of those wood duck hunts that we got for you guys last year. We have some areas that have some really good wood duck hunting. We're going to get back in there. We're going to do some wood duck hunting. Uh, because, you know, most of the time it's a given for the wood ducks for the most part. Uh, hopefully I don't knock on wood right there, you know, don't jinx myself, but we usually can get those, uh, because we, we lay off of them all first split until second split late January. Uh, we'll go back in there and get them. But we also, if we have, we, if we have those puddle ducks, like your gadwall, your mallards, uh, widget, uh, spoonbill, that type of stuff, we'll get some of those also pushed back in that timber that we hunt. So look for us to be uh, kind of changing some things up as far as where we've hunted at first split, you'll probably see a, a good mix second split. We kind of become a lot more uh, a lot more intertwined with the areas that we hunt as far as timber versus marsh. Uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to make a point and say. Uh, so that's gonna be something that you'll probably see us on videos. If you follow us, you're gonna see us, uh, you know, being in the timber a little bit more second split. And I'm looking forward to that because that's that's some fun hunts, guys. It's a little harder to film. I'll be honest with y'all. And I, I referenced that last year when I did some videos. I realized now since we, we're creating videos on YouTube and social media and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's tough, man. I know why people have cameramen now to follow along and film stuff. Because it's really hard when you're trying to be the cameraman and you're the hunter, you know, and you're trying to film all that stuff yourself. But in the timber, it's even tougher sometimes because you have you don't see those birds necessarily coming from off in a distance and you have time to get the camera turned on, get the shot that you want to get. Those birds a lot of times just dump right in on you from the treetops, and it's definitely something you got to be a lot quicker on. So hopefully um, we can get you guys some of that because as much as, I mean, as much as I love making the videos, I love watching the videos just like a lot of you do, you know, no matter who it is on social media, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Uh, I love uh, 99% now, to be honest with you, what I watch on TV is uh, hunting videos and fishing videos on, on YouTube and social media. And I think a lot of you are probably the same way. You probably know what I'm talking about when I say that. So I love be- being able to, make the content, not only make the content, but we go back and we watch our content. That's what we really started the YouTube channel for and started making videos for, was that we could look back at our own stuff and kind of critique what we did. Okay, what can we do better? What can we improve on? And then eventually it just happened that you guys liked what we were doing and and everybody gets to enjoy a little bit of it like we do. Uh, We enjoy tons of other content creators because we get to gain ideas from you guys we get to see areas that we never got to hunt before, that you guys are hunting. We have an idea of what it's like. And that's what's awesome about social media now, in my opinion. That's what these these podcasts are, are so awesome for, you know? You get to hear guys' ideas. Uh, you used to have to listen to the radio, or you had to listen to, uh, watch a TV show to see, see content on hunting. Now, you could be driving in your truck like you guys might be doing right now, and you could turn on our podcast at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, And you can listen to a jackass like me talk about waterfowl hunting like I know what I'm talking about for an hour or so every week, you know? But at the end of the day, whether you agree with me or you disagree with me or you don't think I know what I'm talking about or you do think I know what I'm talking about, it's still fun and interesting to listen to other people's takes on it, you know? And that's what it's all about. Us as outdoorsmen, especially waterfowl hunters, we're like sponges. We absorb content and we absorb Ideas from other people, whether you admit it or you don't admit it, guys, we do. And I love listening to stuff from other people because I have gained so many ideas and said to myself, you know what? That guy's right or that girl's right. I-, I never thought about that. And it's been right there in front of my face or I've been doing it this way for so many years and I could have just changed this up and had more success or done this. And, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. You know, you get, you get ideas, you, you learn stuff. Uh, and stuff that you guys can put to work out there in the field. And I hope that you listening to our podcast or watching our YouTube channel or our social media videos uh, that it helps you guys just a little bit, if it, even just a little bit. I hope it helps you guys, uh, especially new waterfowl hunters. I, I love to talk to the new waterfowl hunters. When I'm doing this, a lot of times I love, feel like when I'm looking into the camera or I'm looking, you know, talking into the microphone, I'm talking to new hunters. Because there's a lot of guys out there. A lot of you may be listening because you don't have that experience. You don't have that knowledge of how things are done and you're just trying to absorb it. You're trying to learn so that you could become a better hunter. And if we could do that through these podcasts and we could do that through our, our YouTube channel or our social media pages, then that, in my opinion, is, is just awesome. You know, that's what it's, that's really what it is all about. It, what it boils down to the end of the day, guys. So, uh, so thank you is my point. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode, not only this episode, but all the episodes that you guys follow us and listen to us and stream us on Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon and all your favorite podcast platforms, guys. It is hard to believe that we are now deep into season five of this podcast. I couldn't even tell you that I thought it would have grown like it has. Um, I wish I had more time to do one every week and do more of them. Uh, but I work a full-time job and I have kids and a wife and it's hard, but I love doing these, these podcasts and sharing these stories with you guys and sharing this information with you and meeting new people. And, uh, without all of you guys, it keeps us going. It keeps, you know, it it just, without you, we couldn't do it because this is what motivates me, uh, to keep going. Hearing my kids talk to their friends and say, Hey, I I saw y'all, you know, on YouTube or, Hey, I listened to your podcast or my dad was listening to your podcast uh, and we enjoyed it. You know, I can't tell you the, the, a better compliment that we get from that than from hearing stuff like that, guys. And that's all because of you sharing it with your hunting buddies, sharing it with, with the people that you think are going to enjoy it. And, and we thank you so much each and every one of you for that. So we never take it for granted. And, uh, and we just, we love you guys for Jackson and myself and Hudson, my youngest one. We love you guys. Uh, and we want to see the best for all of y'all out there in the field, with your families, personally, uh, and, and, and just, and just want to continue bringing this, the information and sharing this time with you guys. But guys, that is all I got for this week, man. If you don't mind, guys, if you like it, you listen to us on the Apple podcast, leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you haven't checked out our social media platforms, such as our YouTube channel, guys, you could go find us on YouTube. At Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors TV. We have over 300 videos that you guys can watch since we started amateurly making uh, YouTube videos and uh, lots of outdoor content, mostly hunting, but we also have some fishing stuff on there as well. You can also visit us on right here on Instagram, guys, uh, on our Facebook page and on TikTok. We do do some stuff on TikTok as well. We post some some, uh, content on there as well. So you can check us out on all of those, and for all of our great sponsors that help support the show, guys, you heard their commercials in this podcast, go check them out, go support them. You see me wearing some of their stuff today, I got my Game Changer hat on right here, my buddy Charlie Peralu over at Game Changer Boats, making waves right now in the industry here in Louisiana and beyond, guys, makes a phenomenal boat. Also, my buddy Jay Thomas over at Blind Grass right here got me... Got me a, my Blondgrass t-shirt I wear. It's one of my favorite t-shirts. Uh, Blondgrass, we're using them on our boat blonde this year, guys. A phenomenal guy. If you're looking to brush up those blondes, go check him out. Uh, and a lot more, guys. We work with some great companies because we believe in their products. They believe in us. They like what we're doing. SRD20, that's another one. My buddy Stuart Delcum over at SRD20, he's keeping our boats cleaned up this season. Uh, keeping the vehicle cleaned whenever we're not hunting. Making things look good so we don't look, uh, we, we, uh, we don't look too bad with the vehicles and the boats. We got everything, uh, that we could clean up easily, eliminates the time of us cleaning everything up. And, uh, his products over at SRD 20, man, are, are just phenomenal. So great people, great products. Go check them out, guys. But that's all I got for y'all this week. And until next time, guys, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Y'all take care and have a good one. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love, and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is also brought to you by The Can Cooker. Seth McGinn's Can Cooker is the simplest and healthiest, most convenient cooking system available. The Can Cooker takes the cattle drive tradition of cooking in a cream can and updates it for today's busy lifestyle. Pack the can cooker with ingredients and enjoy a mouth-watering, slow-cooked meal in a fraction of the time of normal cooking. Use it indoors and outdoors to cook a healthy meal on any stovetop, campfire, burner, grill, or the new multi-fuel burner portable cooktop from Can Cooker. Visit us on the web at cancooker.com.